Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for December has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Jeff Severin's Gunsel, Gunsel, a reporter who loves finding and telling stories. He works in every kind of media from data journalism to comic books, and he's focused on veterans' issues for the past couple of years and continues to work on a series of comics about PTSD. How's it going, Jeff? It's going great. You are, and, and it is my habit to start talking at the top of the show about the weather. <laughs> and you know, you, just, just you're a 100, I am just 100 miles of Mississippi River separates us. So you understand the, the negative double digits that we're in right now. Yeah, it's insane. It's like it's on the inside of my windows. Yeah. Just ice just kind of creeping up to the top of all of our main floor windows. I've literally had a bloody nose all day. Oh, is that you in the cold? Bloody noses? Yeah, bloody noses, man. I, That's I had, brutal. I had some issues as a teenager with uh, uh, putting things in my nose. <laughs> and it left me with just horrible sinuses. Yeah. 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 That sounds like some kind of mental disability, but it was actually more of a impulsive behavior thing. I put a like a Lego flower pot in my nose in kindergarten and completely panicked in the middle of a quiet sort of story time. <laughs> I did get a bean up there when I was six, I think. <laughs> I got a bean in there and I was freaked out. I thought it was never coming out. You got to mess around with that stuff. They're there. I I agree. I agree. I, I, yeah, every part of the caribou. That's a Minnesota joke. Or a Canada joke. I don't know. It's just a good joke. So anyway, you, you, you're, you're doing... Uh, you're a journalist, but you've done a lot of work with uh, more illustrative mediums like comics. How yeah. does how does the comic thing fit into your idea of storytelling? Um, it well, it was really I kind of think about it in terms of how it fit into trying to do veterans reporting because I've been doing veterans stories with a reporting partner of mine at American Public Media for about a year and a half. We had done radio stories, we had done print and web stuff, um, and this opportunity came up to collaborate. There's this great tablet magazine called Symbolia run out of Oakland. And um, this opportunity came up to collaborate with them, with an artist that had worked with Symbolia to do one of our veteran stories. We were doing a, a series about something called Moral Injury uh, with WBUR in Boston. And we said, hey, what if one piece of this is a comic book? And, um, and everyone seemed to really like it. And except for the sources who are really ner nervous about it. Um, but uh, but we decided to kind of press ahead with it. And what was really interesting was um, because with comics, OK, so when you're doing a radio story or a print story, you can have someone talking about a memory and um, you can have their voice in radio, which is really great if they have a great voice or kind of a good talker, as they say in radio. Right. But with a comic book, you can draw the memory. And the memory becomes that much more real. And a lot of what happens when you're doing veteran stories is you have people talking about things that happened to them, things they remember, things that are sort of unreal, right? The same things that we may not necessarily, if we haven't been to war, have a reference point for. And the comics gave us an opportunity to just kind of like really literally draw that picture. Um, and and it was it was incredible. Like I've never had 
I've, I've, I've had a lot of stories edited and then come back to me and, um, and I read them over and it's a fairly dry experience. Um, when I sent the comic script off to the illustrator, this great illustrator, Andy Warner, and I, so I'd just written the script, just the words, and he sent me back a sort of draft, sort of thumbnails of the comic. I literally, like, I wept. <laughs> like, I was in a coffee shop and I just, seeing not only my own sort of story manifest in illustration, but also these really powerful stories. We told the story of a Vietnam veteran um, who had, who had been part of uh, killing quite a lot of people in, in one specific scene uh, during the war. And then we talked to, um, to an Iraq veteran who actually, his story was, was actually just about not shooting a dog in Iraq. A lot of people shot dogs in Iraq because of these like rabid dogs when you would go into villages and, uh, sometimes you'd get bitten, you'd have to get a big, nasty shot. So in the case of this one soldier, uh, his superior officer had said, you know, listen, we shoot the dogs. He had been through the big shot. We shoot the dogs. And so this guy uh, has a dog coming at him and he asks his his commanding officer, can I shoot the dog? And the guy says, yeah, go ahead. He doesn't shoot the dog. He shoots next to it. And the dog just kind of freezes and then just starts shaking. And, and this this totally affected, this was this guy's moment of what are we doing here, right? Like for some people, it's something far more intense and usually involving humans. But for him, it was this, this interaction with this dog. And we were able to really draw that and, and, and make, I think, make the reader really feel the gravity of the story um, in a way that just wouldn't have been possible in telling it otherwise. So it was really, uh, it's really incredible. incredible that sounds experience. incredible. What, uh, yeah. What's your target audience with, uh, with the comics? In that case, it was actually veterans. Um, so this thing called moral injury. So there's PTSD, right? So often when we talk about combat trauma, we're talking about something that happened to you and the effects of that or a kind of an environment you were in, right? Um, but with this thing called moral injury, which some psychiatrists at the VA, even with the Marines, are now uh, sort of researching, um, it's about what happens when you've done a thing. Uh, specifically, uh, it's about what happens when, you know, you've kind of done something that violates your sense of right and wrong in a very high-stakes situation. Um, and and that's what moral injury is all about. And that's what uh, that's what this kind of very small cadre of researchers are looking into. And what we wanted to be able to do, we had talked to a ton of veterans um, over about a year and a half. We wanted to be able to put this idea of moral injury in front of some of the veterans we had met and were meeting and say, does this make sense to you? Does this register with you at all? Um, so really, it was a chance for other veterans to say to us as we were gathering more stories, either oh my God, that totally makes sense. I had that experience. I get it. Or that's not me at all. And here's why. And both of those answers are super valuable in terms of understanding sure. the veteran experience, you know? Um, and so in the case of the comic, that was kind of our intended audience. I was really like very pleasantly surprised by the reaction of some of the veterans and military family members who reached out to me to tell me they appreciated the comic. Um, again, when we started doing it, everyone kind of rolled their eyes. But um, people didn't ever really reach out like that to us when we did radio stories or, or web stories. But with the comic, we had a lot of people just saying, hey, thank you. Just like literally saying thank you, who are veterans or family. It was really, really powerful. And some psychologists and psychiatrists. Why do you think that well. is? Why do you think that the, the illustrated medium is, uh, elicits so much more response? I think it was a it was a combination of things. I I think that it was it was just so if if journalism is sort of holding up 
a mirror or any kind of storytelling is sort of holding up a mirror. This is a mirror with images. So I feel like um, it's it's a lot more literally like looking in a mirror, right? Um, and I think that was part of it. I think the other piece of it was the topic. I think that moral injury or this idea of what happens to you when you've done a thing is not something that's very well articulated. We know it. It's an old story, right? Like we know we all have uh, relatives who just went quiet when they came back from war or we know of people. It's sort of the archetype, right? So we know that people do things in war and it affects them, but we haven't really articulated what that is. And moral injury is a is a very serious, very sober attempt to articula- articulate what that is. That's intriguing. I know when I was a kid, I was raised in a very religious home. And we get these, I forget what they're called. They're like these tracks, these little books with comics about how you're going to hell. Oh, Yeah. And, and it is, it is more effective. Even a crude drawing, you can say like, like hookers and junkies burning in a pit of fire. But if you show a picture, even crudely drawn, it's, it'll scar a kid's mind. Oh, totally. I mean, our brains just respond to images. So strongly. I mean, it's why, you know, when you're not using drawing, you're working, especially, I guess, in radio or in in print, you're working as hard as you can to sort of paint a picture, right? right. I mean, that's what you're always trying to do. That Those are the best stories. I agree. So you're not a stranger to Iraq either uh, in dealing with all of these uh, veterans from Iraq. You previously did some humanitarian work, is that right? Yeah, I um, starting in 1998, uh, and ending in actually a month before the September 11th attacks, I made regular visits to Iraq, which then was under economic sanctions, uh, which had been put in place uh, against the regime of Saddam Hussein right around the time of the of the first Gulf War. And I worked for a, it was, it was an advocacy organization, it was an activist organization, really, um, that would take fact-finding groups over to Iraq to kind of see how these sanctions were affecting the the 25 million people who were not Saddam Hussein. Um, and and the fact was, it was just it was it was a brutal situation. I mean, the combination of a of a murderous dictator and these just super super tight kind of draconian sanctions really kind of collapsed the middle class in Iraq. It it collapsed the hospital system because part of the sanctions was a ban on certain medicines, um, anything that could be used. For for the military, it was very difficult to get into the country. You can imagine all the kinds of medicines and you know chlorine for water treatment. These kinds of things got caught up in that web, and so we would take. Um, I would take people uh, with this organization. I would take journalists. I would take religious leaders, activists. I took some congressional staffers at one point. Just take them around the country to meet people uh, and get a sense as best they could under a dictatorship that was trying to micromanage our own sense of, of the place, uh, give them a sense of how ordinary Iraqis were being affected. Um, so I did that until 2001. I went back immediately after the invasion as a reporter um, for a small newspaper in Kansas uh, and um, mostly, honestly, just to check on friends, but really wanted to try writing about the situation, not from sort of the activist perspective. I, I completely agree with my analysis of the situation back then, but I really just wanted to write what I saw and not worry about or not be in any way affected by a sort of narrative I felt I had to uphold. So tell me, tell me about that. Like, is, are you talking about purely objective journalism? You're just presenting the facts for people to make their own minds up about? No, not so much because I don't 
really believe in it. I mean, I believe that it exists, subjective journalism. Um, and I'm not a, I, I'm not a heavy handed journalist when it comes to like kind of my own passions infecting how I tell the story. I don't want to say infecting. It sounds like a negative word. Um, but it's like I, affecting, affecting. Yes. I mean, I literally, I literally just wanted to write what I saw. Um, and so what's an example of that? Uh, that would be a, a sort of departure from, because I had worked actively against the war. And when I got there, oh, here's an example. I would sit in my hotel and I had met with a few of my Iraqi friends by that point. One of the things they were wondering is, you know, if you're going to invade us, because remember there was like a, a shortage of, of American troops really at the beginning. There weren't as many as some believed we needed to secure the country. And so I was there just two weeks after the invasion and, and heard from friends, you know, what's going on? I mean, if you're going to invade us, like, please, like, secure us. We'd appreciate that. Right. And so I remember sitting in my like fifth floor hotel room and staring out at this main thoroughfare in Baghdad. And watching it for like 40 minutes without seeing an American Humvee uh, or any sign of the American presence um, and thinking to myself, like, there are not enough people here. Like, I was someone who opposed the war, but I was sitting there in that hotel thinking there are not enough American soldiers here. So being able to kind of say that and say why I thought that was something I, I just really wanted to be able to, you know, have the freedom to do. No one was oppressing me, you know, but I wanted to be completely independent. Gotcha. Well, it's kind of like. If you can be opposed to something, but of this of the opinion that if you're going to do it, do it in the most effective, least least casualty kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were Iraqis at the time who I really cared for and trusted who were just straight up saying, and this was the opposite of what the anti-war community was saying in America. They were saying, please, more troops. You know, that was a complicated thing to have to digest. Yeah, well, I think it's a very complex issue, especially for those of us who have really only heard the political side of things. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. get a very... Our, our news reports what our politicians say, and our politicians tend to be horribly misinformed about how these things work, especially when it comes to the military. So I, I can plead ignorance, but um, but it is a it's a complex subject that I'd love to learn more about. Yeah, well, it's, and it's also just, I mean, it was an amazing place. I mean, Baghdad was just an amazing, incredible city, and, and in many ways still is, I'm sure. I haven't been there since 2003, but um, it's very sad what's happening, especially now there's this surge of new violence, and, and it's just, it's its really sad and depressing. <laughs> it, it, yeah. <laughs> I think the world could be summed up that way for the most part. <laughs> the obesity problem in America, the 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 life expectancy in Africa. Yeah. There's a lot of very sad things. Yeah. Happy new year. Happy new year to you too, Brett. (laughs) Let's do this. (laughs) It seems like a good spot for a sponsor break (laughs) in a not at all sort of way. Um, but I'll tell you about Ting. Ting is a mobile that makes sense. Uh, Ting is a mobile service that runs on the sprint network. What makes Ting different? Well, first off, they are truly and completely contract-free with no early termination fees or anything else. You pay for exactly what you use for voice minutes, text messages, and megabytes of data, and they're all billed separately. If you use more than one, uh, if you use more than usual for one month, you simply pay for what you used, and you don't have to worry about penalties or overage charges that come with the traditional cell phone plans. Think they sound great already? Listen to this. Voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, and other features are all part of the service for free. 
When you get your bill, you'll never see any mysterious line items either. Ting charges for what you use, plus whatever taxes they're legally required to collect, and there are no hidden charges or recovery fees. They also let you have as many devices as you want on one plan, uh, sharing pooled minutes, messages, and megabytes. Each device on a plan costs a flat $6 per month. Need to access your account? Take control of your usage and bills in the powerful online control panel and the new Ting Android app. If you ever need any assistance, call them anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. EST, and a real live person will pick up the phone. They're always giving stuff away on Facebook page on their Facebook page too: hoodies, jackets, service credits, and Ting socks. Yep, socks. So definitely go and visit Facebook.com/Ting. If you want to learn more, support the show, and get $25 off your first device or a $25 Ting service credit, visit 5x5.ting.com. So thanks to Ting for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. All right, on a lighter note. not that all, all I, notes are lighter. <laughs> I, I feel like I want to keep going with, with the depressing notes, but... Um, <laughs> the tools that you use as a journalist. Uh, you recently published a post on your blog, uh, forestofthings.com, and uh, and you talked about everything from your note-taking tools to your soundtracks. And it's 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 intriguing. You you have a very uh, very uh, bare bones system. <laughs> it doesn't you, always feel that way. I guess what I mean is you, you're using plain text a lot. You're using uh, simple like system level services, and uh, it seems like the most robust application on your list is probably um, uh, OmniFocus, mm. and uh, and then maybe Pathfinder. And and you talk about Scrivener. Yeah. Yeah. So what, tell me, tell me, like, where do your your stories? Uh, wh- where's the where's the first place you go? How does it start? Is it are you gathering scraps? Are you putting together notes? And how do you do it? Yeah. So the at this point, the first place I go for anything that isn't uh, like an email or a status update or you know an OmniFocus task is NVAlt. Um, once I you know I started using Notational Velocity. A couple years ago um, for story notes for when I got on the phone with somebody just because it was I needed something that when somebody called me and I wasn't quite otherwise ready for it, um, I could just pop open and start taking notes Um, because I can't do it in a notebook. I have really crappy hands and they just kind of kind of like uh, cramp up. You know how that is. Oh, it's terrible. And so. The first time I use NVAlt, it's amazing. I mean, just invoking a keyboard sh- shortcut, it's right in front of me. I just start going. It's going to be there when I'm done. Like, I don't have to worry about it not saving. Um, it's just a really powerful experience. Uh, and that, that kind of turned into NVAlt when I started writing in Markdown this last year. But anyhow, so any story for me starts either with an editor's call to me, like, hey, I have this story. Maybe you're interested. Here's, here's kind of my understanding of it. That might be the first notes I take again, an envy alt, or it might be that I'm reading some stories and just kind of like brainstorming. Um, and so that's where it all begins. And it stays in envy alt through sort of the doing interviews, um, taking notes for interviews, sort of cleaning up those notes, starting to sort of write a little bit, all of that early phase reporting process stuff happens now for me in envy alt. And Part of the reason I do that, I mean, I just love NVAlt. It's very simple. Um, but I'm a freelancer now, and so I'm working on 
this like very diverse list of of projects, and it uses just different parts of my brain. And it's sometimes I'll be working. I'm doing this like data story with Utah Public Radio that's about like water usage, right? So I'm doing that, and I'm just kind of like got my SQL open, and I'm going through a bunch of data. But someone might give me a call about a veteran story, right? Um, and I need as quickly as possible and easily as possible to be able to just pull up the last like five things I wrote or thought or, or recorded on that story. So they're in front of me and I can just go. Um, and NV has been great for that. I also kind of write, um, anytime I put a call out to a source, if they don't answer, uh, and sometimes before I've even called, I write a little script in NV alt so that, I mean, a little script, like actually what I'm going to say, not a like script to do cool things. Um, <laughs> I write a little script so that when they answer or if they call me back in two days and I'm in the middle of something else, I can just pop it up and talk like it's what I've been thinking about all day long. That is really smart. Yeah, it's been great. I mean, like I'm a I'm a simple man and That's I, how need- I do podcasts. Is it? Is it? No. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> okay, and you are. <laughs> it's fantastic. I have a file for you. Now, I realized at a certain point uh, a couple months ago when I was sort of, after I left my office job, I decided to kind of totally rebuild my system from the ground up, just kind of how I work, my workflows, what software I use, because I'm working alone and I can use anything I want and it's not going to confuse people. And there was a point in there... <clears throat> There was a point in there where I realized what I kind of want is to be like the president. Like for whatever situation is in front of me, I want like a folder in front of me with a printout that gives me all the key talking points and kind of what to expect. And so literally now, like in everything from carpool with my kids in the morning to the stories I'm working on, that's like my organizing principle. Like how can I be more like the president? <laughs> not a bad idea. Because I can't pay somebody. I, just I was going to say the, the easiest way to do that is to hire a guy. A few secretaries of uh, of whatever. I guess I could pay in like old DVDs. Yeah, I don't think that I don't, I don't think that counts as currency anymore. I think that ended last year. Oh, that did. Statute I of limitations on DVDs as currency. I do not keep up on the industry news in the U.S. Anyway, <laughs> in Region One. <clears throat> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that was a DVD joke. I get it. <laughs> um, Okay, so so you've got all these plain text notes, and you you seem like you have no problem finding what you need. Do you, do you use like special naming conventions or tags, or do you just full text yeah. search them? No, I do, and I'm actually curious your thoughts on this. So um, the tagging system I use right now, and this is only about a month old, is at the end of the document. So it's actually in the text of the document, which maybe is a little weird. No, um, it's not okay. Weird. I use an at sign, and then you know there's a there's a project code. It's, I do the X thing on that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a project code, and then there's maybe two other tags. So if it's an interview, there's a tag for that. Um, and then it's the project. And then, you know, I have like mm, a handful of tags. I try not to go crazy. So at the bottom of every document is, you know, I would say two to four tags in little at signs before them and an X at the end. Um, but mainly what I do if someone calls is I know the project tag, and I just type that in, and it pops up. I, uh, as much as I love operating system tags like open meta and Mavericks tagging and, and as much as I have every intention of bringing NVAlt into the, uh, Mavericks tagging world. Yeah. Inline tags within the text that, that will always work. It just gives me a certain bit of like a sense of security that right. I don't it's otherwise have. You can grab that anytime. 
yeah. and find the notes you're looking for. Yeah, I mean, that's what's great is no matter. So, I mean, all of my files in NVAlt are saved as plain text files. And wherever I choose to access that folder from, that works. Right. And any application on any platform that can search the content will find the notes you're looking for. And it's, it's, I, I, I do both actually. If I'm tagging, I actually, I do the inline tags on most notes and then I have scripts that run through and apply any found inline tags as open meta tags. Oh, yeah. Which are then mirrored to Mavericks tags because I'm still kind of on the fence on the systems. Um, not in my deciding to use them, but in my desire for backwards compatibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you pretty much, you stole my book because, I mean, that's almost exactly the way that I tag. I have like a, a major context and then a project tag and then max one or two more mm-hmm. specific tags. And the rest, I mean, especially when you're working with apps like NVAlt and like notational velocity gets all the credit for the search um, because I don't have to tag it to death. I can find any, just by typing anything that's anywhere in the note. Yeah. It'll come up and they're, they're sorted by order of relevance to my search. And that's, does not take me long to find a note. And I have thousands. No, it's incredible. Like I can do the project tag and then the interview tag and then just start typing. So I can kind of narrow it down like that. I'm just looking in my interviews, you know, and it's just, it's incredible. I I have to say like, it's, I'm a little, it's amazing that I went as long as I did and that as, (laughs) and that the reporters I know who don't use it still don't use it. Cause it's like, it's the thing that you've been, it's like your reporter's notebook. That's kind of like my joke to people. It's like, this is my reporter's notebook now only far more searchable. <laughs> right now you, you also, you, you mentioned pinboard as kind of one of your always on kind of uh, tools. Yeah. Do you use, uh, okay. A I, I'm a huge pinboard fan. I don't save any local bookmarks anymore. Mm-hmm. I only mm-hmm. bookmark to pinboard. Yep. And, uh, and it's, it's, it's there across any browser. It's there across a bunch of apps. So my question is, do you use any particular pinboard apps or do you primarily use the website? No, I don't use any apps, which is weird. It's like one area where I haven't gone out exploring for apps that might make the, the experience better. I'm actually perfectly happy with the experience as it is. Um, and so I, and all the way down to their little uh, <laughs> random button, which if I, <laughs> if I don't have anything else to do or if I have too much to do, I just hit random and pull up some random bookmark from the last five years. And it's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've never found a use for that because I never find the time to sit down and even go through my unread. But um, no, it's amazing. But I mean, the, so the thing I love about Pinboard and I've, I've pushed this on a lot of journalists friends is that, you know, it's the full text search when it saves all mm-hmm. of the full text of your bookmarks to a database. Like when you're like, I guess this is how I research when I, when I'm starting a story, I research, I'm just a little crazy and scattered and maniacal. Um, I mean, I'm just like, I'm clicking anything that looks like it might be related and just kind of skimming for something interesting, something that pops out. And what's great is that I'm bookmarking as I'm doing that. Cause why not? Right. I'm like a total bookmark hoarder anyhow. Um, and so I'm bookmarking while I'm doing that. And then as I kind of become familiar with the topic over the course of a couple of weeks of working on the story, different names come up, different organizations come up that hadn't come up before. And I go into Pinboard and I search to see if they are connected in any way to something else I'd already read, but maybe I didn't know about them at the time. Um, it's just a huge, it's such a huge help for me with the way I do research. I just love it. Now we have to note that, that, uh, that part of Pinboard costs $25 a year, but 
Yeah, or four DVDs. <laughs> I mean, under the old, under the old exchange rate. <laughs> but if it's something you're ever going to use, it is definitely worth the money. I mean, it's incredible. Pinboard's a paid service to start with, but it's 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 a minuscule cost for what you get out of it. Um, I you, I can't believe you don't have any iOS or you, you have know, an iPhone, iPad. Yeah, I do. And I totally stopped this list there because I realized that, well, first of all, I had something else I had to do. Well, <laughs> and I had spent I'm a lot of time on this. specifically about pinboard apps here. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. Give, I'm going to give my dogs a second to calm down <laughs> from whatever's exciting them upstairs. But, uh, but I mean, I, I like on my iPhone right now, I'm testing out five different pinboard apps. Wow. And, and? they're all good. Are they? Can it's you give really me, give me a recommendation? Send me somewhere. I, well, there's Pinner is great, and I'm working with, uh, let's see, let me load up my web folder. Pushpin, Pinner, um, Pin Browser, Pin Book, and then I have a beta of one I can't talk about yet. But it is also awesome. And Here's my, oh, go ahead. There's Well, there's no huge differentiating. They all do what they do well, and they all look good, and it's really difficult for me to... I'm going to have to make a chart. I'm going to have to. Do you remember when... That would be amazing. Do you, do you remember when Delicious was ugly? Yes. Okay, so this is my theory on why I don't try pinboard apps. When Delicious got pretty, it got terrible, right? And it was really depressing. And, and I realized at that point... And there aren't a lot of examples. This doesn't actually hold true because this is a horrible theory. But I kind of trust the ugly sometimes, right? There is and, a science to that. There is, and, and, and I, and pinboard, and I don't mean any offense because it is, I love it to death and it is clearly like a labor of love, right? And a source of income, but a layer, a labor of love. But it, when it gets pretty, I get a little nervous. Like I have a little bit of, um, a little bit of something left over from what happened to Delicious because I was a big Delicious user from the early days. Yeah, I don't think that's wrong at all. Trust the ugly. I think, yeah. I, and, and if you, like back in the mid web 2.0 era, uh, when everything was getting like shiny and, and bubbly and the services that were the most reliable and the most trafficked were the ugliest. I mean, we're yeah. talking Google, delicious, like things that were backbones yeah. of the web had no need for all the shiny. They were atrocious. And, 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 and everyone used them anyway. Like it wasn't, it, it, it almost was a badge of trustworthiness. I remember but, once I remember <laughs> once being at a like a hardcore like Python developers wedding and I heard a guy say CSS is so bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I do like pretty. I do like pretty. Well, I I like pretty, but I don't I like pretty in apps. I I I almost demand that any app that I use regularly is aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. I don't find the same carries across the websites. Yep. I don't know why. Yeah. I need like, I, I really want OmniFocus to be pretty and it's not to me. Uh, and that's an example of that. It's something I look at every day. I know you could change it. Never, have you, have you seen it on the iPhone, the new version yeah, though? That's, I mean, that's what I, I mean, I can't wait for the next version of OmniFocus on the Mac to come out because the iPhone version is so beautiful. It's pretty. Yeah. Um, do you, this is tangentially related, as most of my comments are. But uh, did you ever see an app from St. Clair Software called History Hound? 
No. It's the kind of thing I think you would love. It's not, I don't, I, I don't think it's currently maintained. Okay. I, I'd have to ask him about that. But uh, but back in the day, it, basically, it would run in the background and would full text index every single web page you went to. Ooh. So for the last, like, you know, 30 days to whatever, to a year, you could just type in part of something you remembered seeing somewhere on the web, and it would bring you to that page. That's awesome. I actually just have a password for the NSA thing. You know, the, it, it's a friend at the NSA. <laughs> He lets me in, you know, between like six and nine at night, and I just check my stuff that way. But that sounds nice. And you go over the transcripts of all your interviews and everything? Go over all of it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That actually does feel like an okay place for a sponsor break. <laughs> um, so this episode is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a tree... <laughs> For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code New Year's. Squarespace is constantly updating their platform with new features, new designs, and more support. They have beautiful templates for you to start with and tons of style options for you to adjust so you can really create your own space online. Squarespace takes care of hosting, SEO, and even makes sure your site automatically looks great on any device. It's incredibly easy to use, but if you want some help, over 70 Squarespace employees are on the customer care team which is based in New York City. Squarespace truly cares about design, and it really shows throughout their entire website where they're always updating with fun new branding that has won numerous design awards. They have two brand new iOS apps for Squarespace customers. Squarespace Blog, which lets you easily draft posts, schedule, and review posts, as well as monitor and manage comments on your blog. Squarespace Blog is fully integrated with Layout Engine, allowing you to easily format text or markdown Tap and drag images within your post and modify detailed post settings on the go. There's also Squarespace Metrics, which allows you to monitor website analytics like KPIs and page views and unique visitors, and projections and charts for your websites are at your fingertips. There are also iOS 7 updates for Note and Portfolio, and don't forget about audio collections from musicians and the amazing new 3D visualizer for shipping. As I said earlier, you can try Squarespace for free, no credit card required, and if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name if you sign up for a year. Also, make sure to get 10% off and support the show by using the offer code New Year's. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and Systematic. And that brings us to this week's top three picks. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm going to let you go first. Uh, we, we have some raucous-sounding top picks this week. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, my first pick is is a website called Source, and it's a it's a site about journalism code, the people who make it. It's a project of of Open News, which is a project of the Knight Foundation and Mozilla, that places coders as fellows in newsrooms around the world. It's a great great little program. It's been going for a couple of years now. The guy who runs it, Dan Sinker, who used to run this great magazine, Punk Planet, and actually gave me my first byline ever he he describes sources it's like a it's like a list apart for news developers i like that and and it does it, it seems about right it kind of works for me and so the, it, the thing is like the world of news apps and data journalists is for the most part this like 
awesome island of passion and cooperation in a trade that can sometimes be highly competitive and cynical. And, um, and Source just does a really great job of reflecting that. It lets these news apps developers, these teams at small and large organizations, everything from MinPost, a nonprofit news organization here based in Minneapolis, to the Wall Street Journal, if they have done some sort of immersive uh, you know, piece of online work. Um, I think Dan likes to say it's it's not journalism for the web, but journalism of the web. So when people are doing that kind of work, it's a place for them to just kind of like unpack it all. Here's how we did it. Here are the challenges. Here's what we liked. Here's what we didn't like. Um, it's a really great, it's just a great place. There's code there sometimes. And if you kind of want to get a sense of what the sort of world of coding and journalism looks like, it's a great place to do it. There's actually a great like year-end post up right now. Um, and that's at, it's like at, what is it, source.opennews.org. It's a great site. Sounds like it's like GitHub, Stack Overflow, and a list apart for news developers. It kind of is that. Yeah. That's it's fantastic. Awesome. It's just got a great energy. It's super well written and edited. Um, it's fantastic. I, I, I will admit I've never been there uh, to this site, but it, it does sound absolutely intriguing. It'll be in the show notes. We'll all go visit it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm trying to figure out where to start with my first pick. Um, I think I'll go with, well, there, a great iPhone app came out this week. Well, last week. Uh, it's called Shoots and Leaves. And uh, it's basically, it's drafts uh, for pictures. You ever use drafts? Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, it takes a picture and immediately, like you set it up in advance so that as soon as you snap the picture, it turns it into a link by uploading it to Dropbox or to Imager or uh, Cloud App, and you, you pick the service, it creates the link and immediately sends it to wherever you want it to go, whether it's messages or reminders or OmniFocus or even straight to drafts with a template. So you hit the button, it takes a picture, and you're ready to do whatever you want with the, the link to that picture. It can even just copy it to your clipboard as a markdown link. Oh, that sounds great. It is. It's it's a simple idea, and it's very well executed. And the the icon is a panda bear, and the <laughs> title have... is "Shoots and Leaves," which is reminiscent of the old joke. You remember that joke? Yeah, I yeah, can't like, tell it. Well, panda bear. You know, can I tell it? Can I just tell it? <laughs> yeah, tell it. Okay, for anyone who doesn't know this joke, uh, panda bear walks into a bar and he sits down and he orders his food, and the waiter brings it to him. And he immediately eats it, shoots three of the patrons, and walks out of the bar. Um, and and the bar the waiter's like, "What the hell was that?" And uh, the bartender yells over, "He's like, it was a panda bear. Look it up." And so the guy opens the dictionary up, and it says, "Panda bear eats, shoots, and leaves." <laughs> Which is that. also also has to do with the the trail the uh, what do they call it the comma you put after the last item in a list the Oxford comma right. Uh, because it, they, there was a punctuation book called uh, uh, Eat, Shoots, and Leaves. Eat, Shoots, and Leaves. But I forget the subtitle. It was uh, something about commas. And I actually own the book. It, but it was because if you don't put the comma in, it becomes Eat, Shoots, and Leaves instead of Shoots, Comma, and Leaves. It, or vice versa. But, and that's just not a panda you want to spend time with. Right. Well, I, I have... Um, not only that book just out of reach, but a, a robot panda just out of reach right now. And I really, it doesn't work, but it makes these great sounds when you move its arms. And I really wanted to grab it. I decided not to, but I had to mention the robot panda. That's beautiful. You're welcome. Okay, you're number two. 
My number two is um, it's an ebook. It's it's um, it's called The Bastard's Book of Regular Expressions, and it is a really great book by a news developer, Dan Nguyen. He's fantastic. He also wrote a book. It's not finished, but you can go and do a lot of it. The Bastard's Book of Ruby. Um, he's just kind of a natural teacher. He writes in this just like patient, fun voice, great teaching voice. Kind of reminds me of David Sparks. Uh, the book is out on Lean Pub. I mean, I've I've always I've kind of turned to regular expressions a lot over the years. Um, for he calls them, you know, find and replace on steroids, which I think is a fairly good way of describing yeah. it, at least as far as I use it. Um, and but I always turn to it, kind of do a Google search. You find like just the right thing, but I don't really ever learn it. And this is just a really great book for just learning it and feeling comfortable with it. Um, and so I've been going through that. I'm not finished with it, but um, I, I'm thinking of buying one as a birthday gift for a friend coming up. But it's just fantastic. And Dan is just great. That sounds that's really cool. I uh, I have a lot of people ask me where they can learn more about regular expressions. And I'm never sure because I taught myself. Yeah. And I've been teaching myself for years. And this year I finally or last year, I guess I finally mastered negative look behinds. And, oh, nice. And like once I hit that, I feel like I understand every part of regular expressions now. Mm. And, but I still every once in a while see something in an old Perl script that I'm like, what does that even do? <laughs> um, but yeah, it would be really it would be really nice to be able to go back in time and just read one good book that didn't lose me halfway through and make me just want to go figure it out on my own. Yeah. And that's, that's what this is. It's, it's short and it's just got some great exercises in it. I mean, I, it's funny, like in the world of journalism, there's this kind of sense in the profession, especially among sort of more panicked older journalists who feel like they need to figure out how to stay relevant. There's a sense that everyone has to learn how to code, which I think is totally false. However, I think everyone should learn how to use a text editor and do regular expressions because we all manipulate text we all work with at least small data sets that need to be cleaned a little bit. Um, and regular expressions is just so powerful for that. Like it's one of those things where when I, when I started using them, I was like, Oh, so this has been there, <laughs> you know, this is amazing. I can't think of anything more universally powerful in the computing world yeah. for anybody than regular yeah. expression. I also had my first ever regular expressions dream the other night. And I don't remember what happened, but I felt so powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how that would go, but yeah. All right. You Bastards can do any, you can do anything. You can do anything in dreams, Brett. Anything fly, flying regular expressions. What, where does the bastards book part come from? Is that, I just, have no idea. I actually really wanted to find that out before I, I mentioned it. Cause it's like, it's the question, right? I don't know. We're going to have to leave it a mystery. Fair enough. All right. My second pick. All right, let me start by saying, do you like Motorhead? I love Motorhead. Who doesn't like Motorhead? It would be un-American, even would, though they're not American. You know, British, but, <laughs> hey. um, okay, so there's a documentary out called Lemmy, 49% mother, 51% son of a bitch. Mother what? Mother. <laughs> that's how we say it in Minnesota. Yeah, no, it's a dialect. <laughs> Just a We're good people. Off. Um, but it, it's a, it's a documentary about Lemmy now with a little bit of kind of the history of Lemmy, who was the lead singer of Motorhead and, uh, and pretty much was and is Motorhead embodies the, uh, the entire persona of the band. Um, and it's just, it's kind of fascinating. It talks about 
all of his his like war memorabilia, all the stuff he collects, all these weapons and Nazi oh, yeah. memorabilia and everything, and why he does it. Talks about his, you know, what he values in life now at his age, and uh, and it's just it's a fascinating look into someone who just does not care what you think about him mm-hmm. at all, and that's and- to me, uh, it's um, it's a rare and admirable quality. He's amazing. Does he ever explain why he looks up at the microphone, which is his deal, right? Which is such a good deal because the only other person that does that is like Don Henley playing the drums for the Eagles, but it's a totally different result. No, it doesn't come up, but it is funny to me that with the, uh, the large, the growth he has. Yeah, that's a that big he one. Would, that he would accent it by jutting his chin out all the time. Yeah, which but creates shadows. He doesn't care. No, he doesn't care. Ace of Spades is one of those songs that makes you feel like, I don't know, it just makes you feel like a different kind of being. <laughs> Did you ever see a band called the Blue Meanies about 15 years ago? No, oh, I remember the Blue Meanies, yeah. Did you ever see them cover Ace of Spades? No. Oh, man. They, I, don't, I think they recorded it. I think it's on one of their, like, seven inches. But seeing that live, you get, like, all ages in the mosh pit. Yeah. From, like... Yeah. 15 to 50 and everyone knows the words to ace of spades and they're just going nuts what about that freaky drummer is he in the in the documentary the freaky drummer the yeah, original the- motorhead drummers in the documentary yeah he's still touring with uh with lemmy he always scared me he scared me more than lemmy <laughs> i don't find lemmy scary i find him almost father figure when i was young i found him scary now he's like a grandpa yeah 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could see him being scared, especially back in the, what was his first band, Eagle Wind. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I don't know, but I mean, like when I used to see him on Headbangers Ball when I was a kid, like all metal seemed that way to me. These people just seemed like they were living lives I could not figure out the road to. Like, how I can't go from here to there. That just can't happen, you know. And I didn't feel that way with other. I didn't feel that way with like Don Henley, but maybe because they're just. Did I, is that the second time I brought up Don Henley? It is. No. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that song New York Minute was amazing. Um, <laughs> no, I don't have a thing. Anyhow, but moving right along. You know, sorry. you know who scared me as a kid? Who? Was uh, uh, Kirk Hammett from Metallica. Oh, yeah. Who is like the sweetest. He I mean, is the sweetest, most unassuming guy. Yeah. But he yeah. looks scary when you're a kid and you look at all these long haired guys. And he yeah. has this kind of piercing look that makes you feel like he will eat your soul it's weird that i don't know how much you were in the metal as a kid but like i was really in the metal and i and i surrounded myself with those people right like i had them on my walls i listened to them all day and they all scared me but like they they were like a weird kind of security blanket of fear <laughs> isn't that why kids get into metal i, I mean, guess and punk rock too like the first time you hear it it scares you and that's the attraction yeah wow you can do that yeah, yeah. exactly exactly all right. You know what? As a kid with a mullet and braces, I just did not scare people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had the same problem. Give me hope. All right, your next pick. All right, my next pick is um, is is music related. It's so Ethan Iverson is the piano player. I will not say pianist. I said pianist. Damn it. Uh, Ethan Iverson is the piano player for The Bad Plus, which is a jazz trio. He's actually from Menominee, Wisconsin. The rest of the band is from Golden Valley. Um, but they have, like, they've really, they've, they've kind of made a place for themselves in the jazz world. It's pretty incredible. They're really amazing. Anyhow, 
Ethan Iverson is a blogger. He, he blogs about jazz. He's a jazz critic. Uh, he is, you know, sort of a student of jazz. He just lives and breathes it. And he has the kind of um, writing style that, like, brings you along with him, right? Like, it's not kind of like you're reading a person that you can't relate to talking about jazz. Uh, he really kind of brings you into the conversation. So he does a beautiful job of blogging about jazz. But I, I bring this up because he has this section on his blog that I've been reading through called, he just calls it, it's like the link that says contents, but it's arranged under subheadings. So he has these like 30 very long interviews with other jazz people. I'm a big jazz fan, but I've never really read a lot about jazz. So what I'm doing is I'm going through each of those interviews and reading them for just kind of like ideas of what to listen to, whatever else. It's like, it's that thing. I think this is why I love being a journalist. It's, it's people talking to each other, um, in a in a practitioner's language, right? So it's two jazz musicians talking to each other, right? With with no mind for who might be listening, even though it's it's an interview that will be published. And I love listening to people speak the language of their profession or of their trade or their practice. Uh, and this is just a beautiful example of that. And there's just a lot of fun, like these jazz musicians kind of challenging each other about things they've done or things they like, um, asking just really nuanced questions and, and just a lot of just nerding out on jazz. It's been really fascinating. I mean, so I'm kind of taking at least the first part of this year and trying to just follow all of the roads that each of those interviews send me down. There's a book I just requested from the library. There's an album I had never heard of, this Ellington and Max Roach and Mingus album that I, I think I may have seen at some point, but never really gave thought to until two jazz artists talked excitedly about it in this interview. Um, and yeah, it's a great blog. If you like jazz at all, it's a great place to stop. And if you like jazz at all, you should check out The Bad Plus. I like all the jazz that you're talking about right now. <laughs> There's jazz now. I started a I started a club in high school called Jazz Lovers for the Annihilation of Kenny G. <laughs> that sounds about about up my alley there. I wasn't big on follow through, but I really wanted to make a shirt. But <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. I, I just like with it. the hair. I like the idea of the uh, talking shop and 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 exposing people to languages they might not understand or lingo that they might not understand. Yeah. I think that uh, Herbert and Tolkien both use that device. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. they create entire dictionaries. Yep. Encyclopedias even. And then just start throwing these words out until you finally understood what they were talking about without ever having to tell you. Yeah. Without yeah. ever having to stop like I do and say, for those listening, no, I just figured it out, man. Right. No, totally. Like I had, I, I remember one, the first example, the first interview I read, they started talking excitedly about something called harmelodics. I was like, I don't know what that is, but I love that they don't care that I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the wire was like that too, right? I mean, the wire kind of used all of the jargon of the street and of the police force through those five seasons and journalism in the fifth season without ever really taking time to explain it. You really did have to kind of learn as you went along. I love, I love learning like that. I, yeah, I agree. I, if I, I think that's the way I learn best. Immersion, yeah. immersion, learning like that. Well, that's like, we talked about this before we started recording. That's like reading, going into GitHub and just reading people's code, right? Like, yeah. it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, I, I learn way faster just seeing the final product and working backwards than I do someone explaining things to me step by step. Yep. Yeah, me yeah. too. All right. So I, I have two possibilities for my last pick, but I think I'm definitely going to go with the music one. Uh, there's a band called, uh, we'll, we'll loosely use the term band. It's called Bass Drum of Death. 
And it's actually <laughs> one guy, John Barrett. Uh, when he performs live, he has a, a drummer, uh, Colin Sneed. But uh, the album that you can find, it's on Spotify, iTunes. Um, it's basically just, well, it is just John Barrett. And he does the drums, the guitar, the bass, the vocals. And it's this really lo-fi, noisy, bluesy kind of garage rock. And you could pass it off as a as a demo tape, but it's got... It, have you ever heard Radio Moscow? Oh, yeah. He's like a one-man Radio Moscow. Nice. It, it's a very... It's like a bluesier, rockier version of things like Darker My Love or Singapore Sling. Even some sounds that, like, take me back to Dinosaur Jr. Nice. And I'm really, like... It's it seems like such simple music on the surface, but and I don't mean to overanalyze it, but it's it, the more I listen to it, the more I find it 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 talks to me in a in a way that you wouldn't expect this kind of noisy garage punk kind of sound too. And there, from, judging from my image search just now, there's a lot of hair flying around. I, I haven't. I've only seen the photos that you're looking at right now. I haven't seen this live. I haven't uh, haven't seen any videos. I've just listened to this album multiple times now. How did you come upon it? Uh, I do these really bizarre searches on Spotify. Mm. Like, then, what's an example? I want to know. I, I couldn't even. It's just whatever is in my head. It'll be a word. I'll just be like, Inuit. One day you were searching bass drum and death. <laughs> it's quite possible. <laughs> I may have just typed in death. Brett, come upstairs. Come <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I stumbled on it. I found that Spotify's discovery features are actually pretty cool too. Like the, the Spotify homepage, when, when it first just starts telling you last month, you listened to this, you might enjoy this. It's getting really smart. That's interesting. Cause I, this is a thing I, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about and experimenting with is like, how do I find, as I get, I'm 39 and I'm just not around people as much as I used to be who are constantly sucking up culture and constantly sucking up new music or even just looking for it. And I really miss that. I really miss discovery. I, and I, I recommend kind of, Spotify. Okay, that's good. Because that's what this jazz blog ended up being for me is, you know, in, in one interview, they'll mention 16 different albums that I've never heard of, right? Yeah. So, oh, great. I've got my fix, you know? There's this constant danger as you age that you, you, I think it's perfectly healthy and good to lose touch with pop culture. Mm -hmm. But the music scene is not, 90% of the music scene is not pop culture. Ninety percent right. of it is people who really care about the music a lot, like I and and apparently you do. Yep. And to let that slip away with your with with your any uh, kind of conscious acknowledgement of pop culture, that's that's saddening. No, it is sad. I mean, I, I've, I'm a musician. I was in punk rock bands for years, and you know that, and that was kind of on the tail end of. Uh, of the of the era where you discovered new bands by traveling around the country and meeting them, you know, and that was yeah. so exciting. And like, I'm always just kind of obsessing over like, how do you sort of recreate that a little bit? It's you know, you could go to the record store and talk to the to the guy or the gal behind the counter. That's been that's less satisfying. It gets for harder me now and harder than it used to, to do as you get older too. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Is Extreme Noise still up there? No, it's gone. Sadly, that really? was a great. Great record store. I feel like I grew up there. Uh, did you used to go see shows in the basement? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I remember that, seeing... God, like, I, I owned the Inferno. Did you ever go... No, the Inferno was probably after your time. 
Oh, you did in wait, the Inferno. What years? Uh, it would have been like ninety six to two thousand. Damn, that was my time exactly. <laughs> it, it was this. It was this little place over on uh, near Rainbow Foods. Yeah, in Minneapolis. I remember this place. What Up were you two doing flights here? Of stairs. I was I was at uh, MCAD, and then playing in uh, Onward to Mayhem. Oh wow! And yeah, and we had shows there. We had like Grimple and the Casualties and all these uh, kind of punk acts come through, and we got to be the house band, and it was fun. Oh, that's fantastic! It was so hot though. Thus the name. Yeah, naturally. you go two flights of stairs to a door that used to be a dentist's office. <laughs> and it would just say uh, abandon all hope and you'd walk in and we had cleared out everything except for structural pillars <laughs> and one like little dentist office in the back that was the green room and then built a, a, a little one foot high stage across one corner and we would just pack people in there and yeah it was a blast it those places hot. were That's magic I mean they were really magic like they were all over, I mean they still are all over the country but I just when we would tour and end up in a place like that it just felt like um like music in its most natural form you know not everybody there was this, was there to see the band but everybody was there to have this sort of communal right. very small group experience that was very high energy and, and just it's, that it's amazing it's perfect because nobody sounds good there nobody sounds good yeah it's exactly. a great equalizer it's the great equalizer. <laughs> All those basement shows. You can see the best band in the world in a basement. They sound like a basement band. Oh, yeah, totally. Basement shows, brushing asbestos off your hair, <laughs> falling from the pipes. <laughs> Waiting in line for the keg. Yeah. <laughs> those All were right. the days. All right. All right. Where are we? We're, this is, I we're, think we're on memory time. lane. Oh, we are, for sure. It's beautiful here. I think I have one more sponsor to do. Do it. Yes. Um, so, are you still using Word or Excel to create invoices? Do you use a shoebox of receipts to keep track of your expenses? I'm not actually asking you, but do you? <laughs> okay. It's funny because there was a moment where I almost answered. <laughs> As you were, Terpstra. <laughs> Save time and get paid faster with FreshBooks, the easiest way to send invoices, manage expenses, and track your time. FreshBooks is the simple cloud accounting solution that's helping thousands of new entrepreneurs and small business owners just like you save time billing and get paid faster. With FreshBooks, you can easily create invoices online, capture and track expenses on the go, and get real-time business reports with a few simple clicks. You can try FreshBooks for free. Sign up today at GetFreshBooks.com. And here's a delicious treat FreshBooks is offering for systematic listeners. Every day, they're giving a birthday cake away to someone who signs up for a new account from this show. For your chance to win, enter Systematic in the How Did You Hear About Us section uh, when you're signing up for a new account. And then uh, uh, sign up at FreshBooks.com. I'm sorry, GetFreshBooks.com and have yourself a FreshBooks birthday party. Wow. Yeah, right? Cake. Cake. No, no. one's ever offered me cake before for signing up for something. No, that should be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it will be now. Anyway, you are uh, J.S. Gunzel, G-U-N-T-Z-E-L, on Twitter. Yep. And you blog at forestofthings.com. That's a great name, by the way. I stole it from Rizard Kapuczynski, who is this Polish journalist who, uh, who talked about the forest of things when he would kind of travel around the world gathering details. That was such a nice bit. I love it. Good, good thievery. 
<laughs> Thank you. He's dead. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he's dead. It's mine. <laughs> Statute of limitations. <laughs> All right. Um, I hope you gave him some DVDs for that, though. Oh, tons. Yeah. I mean, when he was alive. Yeah. <laughs> I leave them at his grave. <laughs> I leave them at his, I, every year. I go to <laughs> Poland, and I bring I bring DVDs. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I am TT Scoff everywhere, and I blog at brettterpster dot com. And if you're listening and think you'd be a great guest on Systematic, please feel free to make a two to five minute recording, just introducing yourself. Talk about whatever you want to. Tell me about you and go to brettterpstra.com slash audio drop and, uh, and just upload that and, and give me some contact info in the notes and I'll get back to you if I think it's, uh, if I think you're awesome. So that's episode 78. Thanks a ton for being here, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. It was really great. And, uh, and we'll see everybody in a week. <laughs>